brought to you by CGTN Europe. I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to The Agenda. Almost 50 years since man last walked on the lunar surface, humanity is ready to return to the moon and this time perhaps stay a while. We'll be looking at international cooperation in space, whether the moon could become a gateway to Mars and the likelihood of a lunar village. China, of course, is the nation which has most recently been to the moon. The Chang'e probe returned to Earth with almost two kilos of rocks at the end of last year. I asked Xu Song, the Director for International Cooperation of the China National Space Administration, what they plan to do with these lunar samples. Well, uh, I think there's a, a great interest in the international community to study these samples. Because of the geographic locations, this region is the newest region on the moon. Um, some uh, one billion year old uh, in comparison with third, uh, three to four billion years old, uh, those samples that has been collected by the so former Soviet Union and US. So these samples are, are, are very useful uh, for telling the moon's uh, uh, characters, the volcanic activities and the later stage moon uh, activities. Um, we will uh, distribute the sample to the international community. That is the preparation work we were doing now. How important is uh, global cooperation between say, China and Europe, China and US, etc.? Well, I think uh, global cooperation is essential for exploration missions. The moon is not far away from Earth. Uh, we can have uh, independent missions. But to go further, we need to collect uh, uh, all the strength that we have on the Earth. So the cooperation with European, uh, in particular European Space Agency, has been very successful. And uh, before that, we also have Chang'e 4, which is also open for European uh, cooperations. And four, four countries from Europe, uh, namely Sweden, Germany, uh, France, and, um, um, and, and Belgium, had also participated in, in this mission, uh, putting instruments and payload on board the mission. And uh, we are also looking forward to more extensive international cooperations once we have this opportunity. So uh, this is a, a good opportunity to cooperate with Europeans, with Russians, with U.S. And we do have some difficulties cooperating with the U.S. But with the new administration, I, I certainly believe that the bilateral cooperation, the old mechanism between China and U.S., in this civil uh, coordination dialogue forum will continue that the uh, opportunities will be found uh, between the two countries. So globally speaking, China is fully open for international cooperation on the Chang'e mission and beyond. What about Mars? What are your plans for Mars? Well, our Mars probe is on the way and uh, it is to be, land, uh, to be inserted into the uh, Mars orbit on February 10th in the evening of China. So uh, we're looking forward to the first mission of Mars. So this Mars mission included three segments, the orbiter, the lander, and the rover at the same time. So it's a, it's a first mission from China, but we are very ambitious. We put three segments together. And uh, the Mars mission, we're looking forward to its landing maybe sometimes in uh, late May of uh, this year. So I, I certainly looking forward to a successful mission of the Tian One, and uh, we are, based on the success of this mission, China will continue its uh, Mars sample return missions, 
And uh, this will be the nearest scenario for, for the Chinese Mars exploration program. So that's China's lunar ambitions. But what about the United States? Veteran space journalist Leonard David explained why NASA is one of many agencies getting ready to launch new missions this year. If you go back and look at what we accomplished in the United States with uh, uh, putting uh, a number of crews on the moon, but the last mission was December of 72, Apollo 17. The big difference this time around, however, is to stay and not plant a flag, kick up the lunar dust, and then depart. So there's a big agenda, and it's not only the United States, but China, uh, Europe, other Russia, other countries. So it's, it's an exciting time. I'm ready to see it all happen again. A number of countries this time. It's not just the U.S. head-to-head -head with the Soviet Union. A number of countries, a number of individuals, all bidding to get up there into uh, orbit, into the lunar space. What's driving them? The moon is not a been there, done that place. There's still a lot of mystery that's going to be uh, uh, available to, for new discovery. Uh, we have uh, certainly learned more about the moon thanks to the Apollo samples, and China has just brought back uh, a number of new samples. Um, so the moon is still revealing itself. We're not even sure how it formed. <laughs> so uh, I think we've got a lot of science that can be done but one thing that's happening is the private sector is very interested in perhaps setting up uh, mining operations on the moon. Uh, you transform lunar ice that's buried in these uh, darkened craters at the poles of the moon. And if you have access to that kind of resource and other material that may lurk uh, on the moon that we're not aware of, I think you can make a pretty good case that uh, the moon is going to be a much different place in the 21st century as we close it out. So all these missions, are they driven by, I want to be the first, perhaps by individuals, or is it commerce or science? I think it's going to be a little of everything, commerce, science, uh, and just sheer exploration. And, you know, by the way, the moon is pretty close. Uh, I'm a big Mars... Uh, person, you know, uh, blueprinting a, a plan for the red planet, and that's going to happen as well. But we're going to get our lunar legs underneath us this time much better to train for Mars. OK, so the Moon was the original target. Mars, forget it. Now, Mars is within grasp. Is it compelling enough to grasp our imagination, grab our attention, as the original Apollo series did? I believe we're, we're seeing something new. I, I, I like um, kind of now history. For the first time, we all can explore uh, the Internet, um, camera systems, listening devices on these spacecraft. We're all going to be uh, taking part in exploration of not only the moon but Mars. And I think it's going to give us... Uh, a wellspring of uh, knowledge and uh, excitement about what humans can do. What is the level of cooperation internationally to get people up to Mars? 
Well, I think there, there's tremendous amount of literature now that has been evolved. Uh, the International Space Station, where you have multiple countries involved, has been a kind of a testing ground for a lot of technology, life support systems, and also understanding the challenges that are, are ahead, radiation exposure, uh, the, the microgravity and its impact on the human body. So the, the space station that's there, and then China is about ready to launch their own facility. Uh, those are great testing grounds for hardware and the people. So we're flight qualifying the next uh, generation of astronauts that will actually set foot on, the, on Mars. The space industry is thought to be worth as much as $400 billion. Sectors like defence, IT hardware, tourism and even mining are all areas that could cash in on a new wave of space exploration. Well, joining me now to discuss this and much more is Bernard Hoffenbach from the Commercial and Innovation Team at the European Space Agency. Bernard, we mentioned the lunar economy earlier. What does that mean to you? How would you describe the lunar uh, economy? So for me, the lunar economy is nothing else than an extension of a terrestrial economy to assist lunar space. Moon in future may open new market opportunities, but we need to keep in mind all the economic activities and the jobs are still on Earth. So which sort of industries do you think are likely to benefit the most from uh, a lunar economy? I'm thinking satellite communications, perhaps, uh, navigation infrastructures... Well, of course, there is a classical space industry building habitats and transportation system. They benefit first. The classical industry providing communication navigation service on Earth can extend their business into deep space. That's clearly a strong business opportunity. And I think a strong business opportunity is everything related to the use of space resources. And here I talk about the mining industry, robotics, industrial processing, and artificial intelligence. So there are lots of industries which are today grounded in a terrestrial sector, which may discover opportunities once we start permanent operation on the lunar surface. Can you name one, then, Bernard, one major advantage we'll feel the effects of or the benefit of down here on Earth from what is going on up there in the sky? Well, firstly, there's an economic benefit. It's innovation, technology innovation, jobs on Earth. But honestly, ultimately, exploration of space is an inspiration for our society. In particular, in a crisis like this, we know our future is grounded in science and technology. And space exploration is a clear symbol of what we can achieve if we focus on science, technology and innovation. As you know, we're approaching a green year, 2021. Lots of hopes that we'll have a greener and a safer economy uh, and uh, perhaps a reduction of climate change. A lot of efforts going into that. What about sustainability uh, in lunar terms? Is that important? Sustainability is important. Without sustainable exploration, we will never create an economy. It's maybe an interesting uh, idea. Whenever we start operating on the moon, we need to create a carbon-free economy because there's no carbon to burn. So we will need to find new technology solutions to sustain human robotic operation on the moon, which also create linkages to addressing climate change topics here on Earth. So we've heard about the lunar ambitions of China, Europe and the US. For more on the business of the moon and living in space, I'm joined by the director of the UK's National Space Academy at Leicester University, Professor Anu Ouija, and space journalist Sarah Crudus. Sarah, I'll start with you. What are the missions to look out for this year? 
One of the missions I'm most excited about for 2021 is the commercial lunar payload services, um, which is with NASA, because what we're actually seeing is um, just with exploration on Earth, governments going first and then private industry follows. So we're going to see private missions through NASA actually landing on the surface of the moon, so changing who can access the moon. It's no longer just about governments, but also private industry. But we're also going to see more and more countries looking at going to the moon. So Russia this year is returning to the moon. They haven't been for some decades. They're actually going to be landing um, a rover on the surface of the moon. And we're going to see also an Indian mission to the moon and just more excitement about the potential of what can be done on the moon, exactly. looking at resources on the moon. That, that's, that's so interesting. It's, it's something I want to put to Professor Oja as well. Professor Oja, man hasn't set foot on the moon for half a century. Why the sudden or renewed interest in the moon? 50 years ago, when, when 24 humans went to the moon and 12 walked on its surface, that was primarily driven by geopolitical considerations. It was part of the Cold War, so it was the Soviet Union, the United States. And the irony is, although it was a politically driven programme, the science yield was absolutely transformational because especially in the last three lunar landing missions, Apollo's uh, 15 to 17, with three days spent on the lunar surface, extensive geological training, it, it's fair to say that many of the mysteries surrounding the origin of the moon and the Earth-Moon system, uh, you know, we got crucial insights from, from that data trove. 50 years ago, specifically from those last three Apollo missions. Now, politics being politics, when, when the political impetus stops, um, it's fair to say that we changed our foci, both the Soviet Union and the United States. And of course, there was a bit of a hiatus, well, a bit of a hiatus, nearly 20 years. But then we started to get robotic missions in the 1990s and orbiting missions. And what we found is the moon is far more interesting than we thought it was. Whenever we make new discoveries, we have new mysteries that emerge. And one of the things about, about the Earth-Moon system is that the moon is like a geological time capsule of Earth's early history. Because, of course, on Earth, we've had active weathering for billions of years. On the moon, pick up a lunar rock, and the chances are it's been undisturbed. It's pristine. And so by understanding these ancient samples of lunar material, like the ones brought back by Chang'e 5 very recently by China, what we get is a better insight, not only into the moon, but the early history of the solar system, the early history of planet Earth. And if we want to understand Earth's potential future, comparative planetology, that means comparing Earth to other planets and their satellites, is absolutely key. So from the science perspective, from geopolitical considerations perspective, this renaissance of a focus on the moon is exciting for all sorts of reasons. Indeed. Uh, Sarah Crudus, you heard Professor Oja there say the moon is far more interesting than we had originally thought. And that uh, immediately provokes my thought that uh, have we scratched, barely scratched the surface in terms of uh, resources and what the uh, possible uh, resources the moon could provide? One of the reasons we go into space, of course, is to, to benefit life on Earth and to extend humanity's presence. But there's also this very fundamental stuff that humans have wondered since the dawn of our existence, such as where do we come from? Why do we exist? What else is out there? And it's by studying the moon, which could have been dismissed as a, as a lump of rock only a matter of a century ago, that we actually learn more about ourselves and the history of um, Earth and, and where we potentially came from as a species. And then we also go to the moon because there's the potential, you know, to extend humanity beyond Earth. If we want to see human beings walk on the surface of Mars, and when I was growing up in the 90s, at least, I thought by 2020, we could see human beings on Mars. We've always been told it's the next few decades away. But if we really want to see that happen, we actually 
we need to go to the moon. That's what it's looking like. And we need to learn how to live away from Earth for long periods of time and extend what we're able to do and to, to live off the land. Because, you know, when people explored the Earth, they didn't take everything they needed with them. They lived off the land. And we need to be able to do the same on the moon. So the presence of water ice, for example, that can be used for oxygen. It can be used potentially even for rocket fuels. Yeah. So it enables us to potentially use the moon as an intergalactic petrol station, so to speak, to enable us to actually go further into the solar system. So what's more important, the moon or Mars now? Mars is hugely exciting because Mars and some other places in our solar system, those could be the places where we get that clinching piece of evidence to say, do you know what, humanity isn't alone. There is life elsewhere in the solar system, potentially microbial life or life that exists in the past, which is independent of life on Earth, and that could answer some profound questions. But the reality is, the less sexy side is, I guess, that we it's more practical to return to the moon, this time stay for good, extend okay. humanity's um, presence beyond Earth, and then look to going to Mars. But the reality is, Human beings are social creatures, and I think it's step-by-step step ferociously um, that we have to take this, and, and the moon is that next step. Yes. But the ultimate goal is Mars, and to be able to one day look up at the night sky, see Mars as that red star-like object, and know that there's human beings there, that will be incredible. But I think we're still a few decades away, but I, I think we'll get there eventually. And then, of course, Mars is only just the beginning. You know, It'll take many human lifetimes to even begin to explore much of the solar system, and that's what's so exciting because... All of us at the space generation, we are living in the space age now and all of us can be a part of it. That brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda. Join me again next week when I'll be looking at the road to immunity against COVID-19. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. You can also find us on CGTN Europe, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.